let us go into the countdown. Pause here if you need to to get your DVD, Blu-ray, or digital file queued up to zero. Once you're at zero, 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 make sure you have the subtitles on. Um, I will put the sound on around 10%, as I'm always talking about. And I hope you enjoyed this movie. I'm going to count it down in a couple seconds. All right, here we go. When I say go, you hit play. Three, two, one, go. All right, humans and mutants. Welcome to the Bizzle's commentary for X-Men Days of Future Past from 2014. I am a huge X-Men fan. And I've already done commentaries for the first two, both done by Brian Singer and both brilliant. I don't know when I'm going to be releasing any of these. Um, I've definitely been wanting to do this particular commentary for a while because I've had sort of a back and forth relationship with this movie. And it's a very, very good movie that borders on greatness at points. And like all X-Men movies, it doesn't quite get over that line. I mean, X2 is so close. Uh, honestly, I watch X2 now. I'm like, it's a top five movie um, in comic books. So if that's the case, then that movie achieved greatness. Here are the comic title cards. I won't dwell on the fact that X-Men is owned by Fox, while um, Spider-Man is owned by Sony. Um, and then there's Marvel Studios, Disney, that owns everything else, including Iron Man and Cap and all the ones that you've become used to. But in this one, they jump immediately to a dystopic future, which X-Men is either constantly hinting at or is actually happening. And maybe that's why I was attracted to it as a kid. It's a very political, social commentary, and very dark visions of the future and present. I mean, this could be the present. We'll get back to the timeline stuff here. So, you know, the Sentinels were a big part of the animated series that I loved growing up that came out the same time I was of comic book reading age. So I was obsessed with X-Men, 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 X-Men. And still, if I'm actually going to read a comic, it's the only one I'll do it um, for or do it with, um, even though I love uh, the Avengers. But Genosha, the made-up sort of prison uh, country where the mutants were put... Although dark, and the Sentinels were physically much bigger than what we're about to see, um, was not nearly this dark. I mean, it came out in the mid-80s. It's for, you know, teenagers, although adults read it, because X-Men is that smart. So, you need to star every X-Men movie with a monologue from Professor X about what's going on, and the stakes, and how mutants and humans are going to live together. So, all right. So, I have a lot of small critiques of this movie. And I actually, you know, I loved it when I first saw it. And on repeat viewings, it wasn't quite there. Didn't help that it was the same year as Cat Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy, which are two of my favorite movies from the genre, and which really got me into that particular part of the Marvel Universe. I'll stop for a sec to point out that we're back to Brian Singer. Yeah, if you didn't know, the guy who directed X1 and X2 is back, and he's directing X-Men Days of Fucking Future Past. Oh, this is great. I was so excited just to have Singer back. I mean, there was just so many disaster X-Men movies. Including ones that some people like, like First Class. Oh, I thought the Wolverine was decent. Uh, but, uh, you know, 11 years later, we get him back. We get the X-Men music. We get the, you know, <laughs> the Carnival Ride, as I call it. The CGI Carnival Ride, which is still better than anything out there, including the Matrix. Although I love the Matrix. 
this is extremely long, even by singer standards. And then, boom, he wanted to let us know that he was back. So not only is this an extremely dark vision in general, but it's an extremely dark vision for the X-Bed, which is, you know, uh, <laughs> creators extraordinaire of dystopic scenarios. All right, so I'm about to get the Sentinels. They look like Squiddy Bots from um, The Matrix at first. But... Uh, <laughs> Anyways, yeah, okay, so you're watching this stuff, you're going, oh my god, I'm seeing so many cool X-Men I haven't seen in, you know, forever in the movies, or even in the comic books, once I don't know, but Bishop right here, I loved Bishop, not only because he was a big black dude with dreadlocks and there weren't that many black, um, you know, superheroes in the 90s, yet. Okay, this is like, yeah, this is like the Sentinels digging to Zion, you know? But look, we got Colossus. You know it's Colossus. We've been waiting since 2003. I don't know who the fire guy is. He some, must be someone else uh, than the Human Torch. Not the Human Torch, sorry, Pyro. Uh, but, so, you know, what... <laughs> How could you not love this? You know, the criticism of the original X-Men movies was that they all had powers and they were on the same team, but they weren't all fighting together in terms of using their powers together, which I always praise the Avengers for. And here they almost go over the top doing it, but by making this essentially four or five young X-Men, sort of of the young X-Men doing it, you get a sense of their powers early on, and you needed to do this just to get people excited. It's a bit of a cock tease, I'll get back to that, but so that at the end when it was all drama, you knew what the action was. Okay, there was Bobby giving a, a look to Kitty Pride, uh, played by Ellen Page. They are love interests in this movie, but in the theatrical version, which this is, you really don't see it and the rogue cut extended cut um which i watched earlier um which i'm not gonna do commentary on there's a very explicit romance between uh bobby and uh kitty Yeah, the way they absorb the mutant's powers is very cool. You know, if you think too hard about the fact that this came from Mystique's DNA um, but you should just enjoy the concept. I'm not, yeah, I don't think the Sentinels were like that in the, uh, in the book, but that was before my time, even though they did have the animated series. Here we go. You're going, what is she doing? Oh, so you have a bigger Colossus. I think the smaller Colossus kills him. They kill tons of mutants in this movie. Bobby gets killed twice, uh, though we don't see the second one, I don't think. And there he gets decapitated, uh, but this is brilliant. This is such a brilliant call. I mean, first of all, the portals that Blink, I believe her name is, is, is using with Warpath and uh, one other guy and Bishop. So anyway, so Bishop, not only, you know, just bad looking ass with a red cape and a blue outfit. Oh, there goes Blank for the first time, but she'll be back. Um, you know, but his powers not, not only, you know, involve great energy powers you know blast of red energy but he could channel it through a gun of his own design to even enhance it more i mean good to have you know energy powers and a gun 
I love that. Oh, look at this. They're just killing mutants. You know, there's so few humans of Eddie killed in this movie. They're, they're not only do they kill these mutants, they kill them multiple times. That's the whole point. They're in the time loop of uh, Kitty Pride's creation. All right. This is it. You're going. This guy looks like a much better version of the Destroyer from Thor. Too late, assholes. Man, they, there's a lot of cursing in this movie. I forget. Boom. What? What just happened? Brilliant. Brilliant concept. Brilliant execution. We come through the door. Brian um, Singer loves doing this sort of shit. I mean, look at this. Oh. You know, there's so many complex things going on, even as a comic book reader. And he's just, you know, he, he's just making them happen visually. And you might be able to express them in your mind you know, openly, or it might be more subtle, but it makes sense. And that's the thing, the, 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 the heel turns in this movie, it doesn't even bother me because the performances and the execution is there. Alright, so, you know, we missed the opening monologue for Professor X, but basically the government created sentinels to capture and or kill mutants and then they found ways for people who were going to have like mutant great-grandchildren to go to the camps and then humans started rebelling and they started going to the camps this is the nazi scenario realized on a huge stage um with the mutants being the jews and the you know the gypsies and the homosexual individuals etc and the concentration camps in world war ii but with the ultimate goal being the subjugation of the whole world even quote-unquote other white people. Got the Blackbird. Um, great design on Professor X's hover chair. Halle Berry, so glad they got her back. I'm a big defender of hers in these movies. I really don't know anything else about her career, but I, I think she's uh, unfairly criticized. <laughs> yeah. It's the end of the world. He's still got Cubans. That's great. Look at him. Hugh Jackman is one of the reasons I, quote-unquote, came back to this movie. I always liked it, but it took more than a couple watches. And on recent watches and preparing for this, look at Ian McKellen. It's so great to see him as a good guy. And the thing is, he's so, he's so filled with and fueled by self-hatred and self-rage because... He is part of the reason this happened. He's a major reason this happened, as we'll find out. And he knows this is all his fault in some ways, although we will debate whether this was an inevitable scenario. Yep, they still got the relationship. Oh, man, in the kitchen and X2. When he skewers the guy in the refrigerator, Bobby's hiding under the dining room table. He's come a long way as Iceman, and boy, does he look great here. Yeah, I guess they do tease uh they do tease that relationship. They also tease the relationship between Kitty Pride and Professor, which doesn't really get explored. Actually more than Anna Paquin, I was hoping the, you know, so called rogue cut or the extended cut would actually have more Ellen Page, would have more Kitty Pride, aka Shadow Cat, with the Professor, because they have a very close relationship in the books at times, I believe, and they just have great chemistry, and <laughs> those two have great chemistry with everyone. This I mean, right here, this is a room, even the minor players or, or the less well-known young actors who are on the outset here the young x-men or whatever everyone has amazing chemistry here it, it's effortless that's the thing it took me by surprise even x2 which i love and i said one of the best comic movies ever best x-men movie ever feels a little herky-jerky at points nothing feels forced in this movie 
after, you know, a decade of thinking about these roles and coming back to them, you know, and these actors all being older and more experienced. I love this. I think this was supposed to be a laugh. Just the framing of Peter Dinklage in these first few shots of the magazine and with the backlighting. I, I, not a joke, but a minor respite of levity. So here's the big exposition. And that's the thing. They do the action exposition, which we already saw. And now they do the explanatory uh literary exposition so the mystique relationship with xavier may have been in the book it was not in the early x-men movies at all and they decided to make it the centerpiece of x-men first class which was the first of this new line of x-men movies starring james mcavoy who we'll see soon up oh, here's jennifer lawrence blowing away peter dicklidge of the forehead a cold-blooded killer is Jennifer Lawrence. She's she's a, she's a cutie. I'm not trying to want to date her. <laughs> I don't think she'd let me. Um, so, uh, but anyways, they had McAvoy as young, actually boy version of Professor X take in Mystique as young girl, who they actually made work. A young girl looked just like Mystique with the color and the hair and everything. My favorite part of First Class is, is their relationship by far, brother sister, but. He, you know, young, uh, this is just the explanation of the bad guy's evil plan. I'm sure you've seen this before. So, um, you know, I, I mean, it looks amazing. Look at that. But, uh, anyways, <laughs> Xavier gets a little cocky in terms of his dealing with Mystique and says something that kind of offends her having to do with her physical looks, but implications about her mutant, um, not only abilities, but just appearance and existence. And he drives her away. And, uh, you know, that influences this whole movie. If you haven't seen First Class, you still get the point because of the dramatic selling that we just saw from Patrick Stewart, and then it's going to be very enhanced by young Professor X, James McAvoy, who's not only back, but one of the leads of this movie, as he was in the first. And he's so tormented by a lot of things, but especially her. I mean, he's basically a druggie. And one of the most effective parts of the movie, almost all the effective parts of the movie involve McAvoy, actually. Uh, I'd say the most effective parts, the most memorable. And I'm going to run through. I took a lot of notes. I'm just uh, rapping here just to get my brain going. Last time I saw this, but there are a few scenes in this movie that I put up there with the best in any movie. And, and that's worth a lot of points for me, you know? It, that may actually be worth over half. I say that about the original Avengers. Not perfect, but the great scenes in the Avengers, you know, put it way over the top. So they're building the barrier. They're going to send Wolverine into the past. Strange that, you know, Professor X hadn't considered that Kitty Pride would kill him, and thus they have to use Wolverine. But, you, you know, you got to give character stuff to do. I mean, Professor X is already so wise and all-knowing, you know? I mean... That's the thing. You have to find ways in every movie to disable or partially disable Professor X. And this is another one of those movies. Because otherwise he can control everyone on Earth. That's the whole point. Gotta take him out. You can take him out physically. You can take him out psychologically. Oh, right. And this is great. The reveal of not having his powers, not explaining why, and Magneto saying... You gotta find me too, even though I was a dick and a really bad person.
So Amy Kellen gets to be more Gandalf here. You know, this is Gandalf, like mid-return of the king when he thinks all is lost. Ugh, yeah, we get a little bit more Magneto in the extended cut. I won't talk too much about it. It really was cool, but not necessary, and slowed down the movie. Well, it's complicated. This is great. You know, sending Logan on this harebrained mission just because he's the only one. He's really, well, we think it's the last person you'd want to send, but actually he ends up being more effective than Professor X going back. Uh, you know, I mean, we do get the mind meld later on, but, you know, <laughs> he needed someone like Logan who sort of becomes an older brother to younger Xavier uh, in this movie. It's great. So, we're still getting exposition, but what's great about this movie is if you can get through the initial, like, 15 minutes of exposition, and we also had one of the greatest superhero mini-battles of all time. I mean, in terms of effectiveness to time on screen, that first few minutes with Warpath and and Blink and Colossus was fantastic. Peaceful thoughts. Do you have any good news? (laughs) Uh, Pretty much like the same. Ellen Page says it as an insult. It's great. Yeah, Brian Singer humor you gotta look, you gotta go for. It's not Joss Whedon, the Russo brothers, not gonna, uh, James Gunn, not gonna smack you in your face. Look at the two old guys. I love their futuristic, you know, leather costumes. <laughs> it's great. They're sticking with the leather. We were young. We didn't know any better. We will now. Here we go. The movie starts here. That's the thing. We got great exposition and great action in around minute 17. Here we go. Yeah, they should have tied him down already. <laughs> Who would have thought that his claws would come out while he's in his uh, sleep state in the past? All right, this is great, because you'd think this is calling back to the opening carnival ride or something trippy like that. But, nope. <laughs> it's a lava lamp. And... What's great about this movie, but can be frustrating for someone like me, who's not so into period pieces in general, is that it totally nails the 70s. I never buy that this is not the 70s, and that was one of the major goals. And it took me a while to realize that making that one of your main goals in a superhero movie is very, very important. And so I appreciate it a lot more. Oh, he's on the waterbed. Uh, we know what's going to happen to the waterbed with Wolverine. Yeah. So yeah, there's all happen going on. But right now, Wolverine's in the past. He's got to get Charles, who is screwed in the head. And he's got to get Magneto, who's screwed in the head, but also captured and figure out a way to stop the end of the world. Um, Actually, yeah, this is Wolverine's biggest responsibility yet. I guess that's the point. Now, I talk in the X-Men commentaries about how the original X-Men, knowing that it would be successful, I think, or successful enough, really was setting up the second movie. The first movie's 90 minutes. It introduces a ton of characters and plot lines and themes. And then with 40 plus, you know, more minutes in X2 without having to do any setting up, it's just, you know, two plus hours of adventures with the X-Men, which is exactly what we wanted. And uh, <laughs> this is going to end uh, well for these guys. I remember being in the theater and just, you know, me and my dad putting bets on, uh, <laughs> shout out Papa Bizzle, me and my dad putting bets on it, whether he was going to kill them or just knock them out. That was the old me. <laughs> 
I just got it like 20 seconds ago. And later, uh, McAvoy tells him he's been on a bad acid trip, which is really what could be going on there. So what this scene does, um, other than just establish him as a cold-blooded killer, is make him a murderer, you know, and not even care that he's going to be a fugitive. Although I guess these guys are mob guys, so maybe the police won't investigate. Uh, We have what appear to be claw marks through the bodies of these people. Oh yeah, that was a great reveal that he didn't have the adamantium yet. Yep, the bullets have to hurt, but they're not going to kill him. It's his version of Neo. (laughs) Stopping bullets with his chest. Totally gratuitous. Gotta do it. Love it. He doesn't get a chance too much later in the movie. You had to have Wolverine fight. I mean, that's part of why people come. And that's why people love him in the comics. He is a subtle character in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways, he is just (laughs) a literal character. Is that... uh... He's sort of like Drax, doesn't get metaphorical jokes and such. Wolverine the Destroyer. Okay, so, you know, Peter Dinklage is the big bad guy. I've loved him in everything he's been in. He single-handedly almost kept me watching Game of Thrones, and I'm not the only one that feels that way. I know people that watch it almost specifically for him. And, uh... (laughs) What's great is he's not funny because he's a little person. He's funny because he's freaking hilarious and he's not afraid to talk about his stature. Um, But they don't even bring it up in this movie. It's great. He's a total, you know, I mean, he's not really a nutcase. He's extremely rational. He sees a problem. He's just a scientist like Stryker that draws the wrong conclusions. I think he's quoting James McAvoy as uh, Xavier from the first movie, yet again being a little cocky. You know, it took a while for Professor X to accept that the only way to make humans somewhat tolerant, if not accepting, of mutants is through more subtle means of diplomacy and interaction and socialization. That's the thing. The mutants don't see themselves as dangerous for the most part. Even the dangerous mutants are the bad mutants. You know, in their minds, it's always reactive to what's happening to them. So this is important that Tresk, you know, give this big speech about saving the world by killing other people. And they're just like, "Mm, no. (laughs) Here it is from the senator. Ain't gonna fly. The sad thing is, they're probably rejecting it based on money more than any kind of principles. Okay, so this was a very cool period piece in Vietnam. Uh, you know, X-Men Origins Wolverine, I think was in Vietnam. I could never get, you know, halfway through that movie. It's so bad. I guess this is a nod to that. Uh, but they basically ignore that movie and the third X-Men movie, Last Stand, neither of which Brian Singer directed. I, I don't know what this is meant to convey, this scene. I think they just wanted to show more mutant powers. Uh, you know, we saw the good guys getting killed, and so we're sort of with them. And of course, with Jennifer Lawrence, you know, uh, with Jennifer Lawrence's just sheer charisma. You know, you're always on her side, even when she's a bad guy. And 
You know, for her, it's personal. And Charles is partially responsible. Or so she tells herself. Oh, right. So, right. The idea here is, right. So, Stryker, <laughs> young Stryker's coming up. And actually, this young Stryker right here is going to be important because he's going to be in uh, Apocalypse next year. Um, I'm sure involved with Wolverine's quote-unquote evolution. So, I-, I think the idea is Mystique is going around the world, freeing trapped mutants and, and such. And this is where she gets a smell of this whole medical program that's going to eventually lead to the Sentinels. Yeah, and this guy's such a douche. It doesn't look like Brian Cox at all, but he does have that, you know, just hideously overconfident smile. Yeah, this guy's great. He looks nothing like Mystique. You know it's her, though. He is talking a little effeminately, though. It's I always say this, when the character gets to play another character, it's always fun for them because they get to act outside themselves. Okay, here she is, Jennifer Lawrence. So, they did first class that has this central crew did okay at the box office. So, they made less money in 2011 than the first two X-Men movies in 2000 and 2003 by actual dollars, not not inflated dollars. So, you know, it did well enough to green light this. I think they wanted, you know, Brian Singer to get, or needed Brian Singer to get on board to continue this franchise the way it needed to go. But uh, <laughs> he wasn't ready to come back. He needed some infrastructure, so they got Matthew Vaughn, who I didn't think did a very good job. I haven't rewatched that movie. Maybe I've seen it twice. But <laughs> the stuff with her and Xavier when they're still living together and on the same side, and he's trying to keep her in the fold, but he's kind of driving her away. It's so memorable. And so clearly the best part of the movie that I, I didn't need a lot of rewatches because that's all that really carries forward of any import. And there's some plot references of, you know, starting or stopping the pig's invasion, whatever. It's X-Men. They kind of get involved with every major world event. The thing is, the optics of Vietnam are so cool. And we get to see all these, you know, um, you know mutants who somehow got drafted and are now getting sent for medical program. Right. My war is not over. I think Mystique must have sniffed this. And, and, you know, scientific projects, nefarious scientific projects uh, involving mutants is a recurring theme and is almost always horrifying, so... You know, this probably isn't the first time. It's great facial and head designs on those various kids. So, she's continuing Eric's work. She's way more subtle. She has to be. And, you know, the problem is, when you put Mystique and Magneto together, as I point out, in X1 and X2, you you really can't stop them, because they can do everything important between the two of them, other than uh, telepathic stuff. Oh, here's the X-Mansion, overgrown. Oh, man, wait till you see this car from Wolverine. This is awesome. But yeah, Mystique's been on this trail for a while. <laughs> yeah, you know, they set it up so like 100 years has passed in geological time. It's hilarious. But, you know, can you imagine what drunk 
uh, drunk Xavier and drunk Hank McCoy, aka Beast. Just the two of them sitting around watching PBS. Oh man, you could almost make a sitcom out of it. But it's is tragic, or it starts tragic. What happened to the school? Okay, this is when it gets great. Once these guys start interacting. I'm like, I'm all in. Hank McCoy, this is the whole, oh my god, this is the this is the past version of you. But it's Wolverine, it's Hugh Jackman, so you know they're going to do something else. Why is a professor? I'm <laughs> pretty strong for a scrawny kid. Not a little beast. Come on, come on, beast, he's really fucking with him. You and I are going to be good friends. <laughs> oh, man. You're going, okay, Hank McCoy. Oh, he's getting angry like the Hulk. He has more control than the Hulk, but he's sort of like a mini Hulk. That's, you know. <laughs> he's a Hulk that couldn't destroy a whole planet. Uh, uh, he's pretty strong, though. The effects look great. It's totally practical makeup and hair. Exactly how they should do it. They actually make this version of Beast uh, <laughs> hanging, hanging from the chandelier. <sighs> they make this version of Beast uh, e- even more human than the, the one played by Frasier <laughs> in the future or the present. Oh, man. So this is 73. And this is Xavier. Sexy, long hair, disheveled, wearing the dude robe. <laughs> This is great. I'm going to turn up the volume for this. I'm busy. Yeah, Logan has to get straight to the point. And even though Xavier fiends or or truly doesn't believe him, initially, it, it somehow sounds more feasible coming out of the psychopath's mouth. Oh, right, you have, to, you have to do the, you told me this in the future, so that's how I know it's you. Oh, here it is, power's nine. Power going crazy. Yeah, he's still going crazy, that's why he doesn't have his powers. Right, the voices were in other people's head. Or in their own head. Okay, so he says, uh, you know, you will tell someone. You know, I wonder if it's just Wolverine that he confided that in. Probably not. I'm sure his close circle knows that stuff. Gene for sure knows. Oh, man, Gene. Okay, so McAvoy, for me, owns the movie. And it's not even close. And I love all the other actors. But for me, all the great scenes involve McAvoy. I've loved him since he was... Basically, a kid in the Dune miniseries on the Sci-Fi Channel, which was so cheesy, but he and his twin sister were so charismatic as the future messiahs. Basically, he's the most naturalistic in his acting, which you don't always get with Brian Singer, but you just McAvoy can't help it. 
And, uh, you know, I think Fastbender and maybe Lawrence are going to be done after Apocalypse. You know, especially Lawrence has done so much superhero stuff with Hunger Games. But you need Professor X, and you can't have Patrick Stewart forever. And so I think McAvoy is going to be in and out of all the X-Men movies, and he'll be central in some, and he'll be tertiary in others. you got to have Professor X. They're going to have him shave his head, um, but I think he's going to keep uh, like a, uh, some facial hair, I would assume. Look at him. He's totally crazy. Yeah, he manages to seem like a possible younger, you know, cocky, disturbed version of Professor X. But he puts his own spin on it. It's a two-way relationship. I bet Patrick Stewart loves this, I, you know, this young, brilliant British actor doing, you know, a, a disturbed but sexy version of him. Look at him. Top marks. Uh, here comes the challenge. Yeah, machismo doesn't work with, uh, you know, Patrick Stewart, Professor X, but this one is still a little uh, testosterone Right, this is the two-second cameo in First Class where he says, fuck off. Okay, so they get away with a lot of cursing in this movie. They use F-word twice, they use asshole at least twice, and yet not much violence. It's usually the other way around. Look at him. <laughs> He's smiling. Oh, Charles. God. He looks, he totally looks like the bassist of Soundgarden right here. I told you there was no professor here. Right, yeah, at this point in 2014, Logan, although still a psychopath, is, you know, relatively an ethical guy, especially when it comes to the good guys and his friends. Uh, but he truly knows how to care about people. Gene's death taught him that in his own, his, you know, own path. It really started with Rogue and Anna Paquin in the first two movies. I mean, that's the thing. You know, the Wolverine by the end of X2, just because of his relationship with Gene and Anna Paquin, it was already more humanized than any Wolverine portrayal in the comic books that I ever read. You know, they don't even hold back the, the drug addict thing, which I love. But because of the subtle music and the exposition by Nicholas Holt, who kills it as Hank McCoy slash Beast in this movie. Love this young actor. He's been in a lot of stuff. People know his talent. Um, but, you know, I mean, McAvoy isn't injecting heroin. In fact, you know, it, it's helping him live in some ways, although you know, by walking, but blocks his powers, which is a nice side effect that he wants. So you can see why he'd be addicted, because it actually, unlike most drugs, which, you know, sort of uh, hit w hit one part of the brain, this hits two. There we go. This scene, I couldn't believe it, but if you look at the lighting in the actors, I mean, the makeup is amazing. I can't believe they did this to a little girl. It's uh, She must have been older than she looks, for for legal reasons, the amount of makeup and how long that takes. But that whole relationship... With the little ones, and then they don't show, but plenty between, you know, this Charles and uh, and Raven, played by Jennifer Lawrence, a.k.a. Mystique. Future shite. Yeah. <laughs> Professor, doesn't take long, although he doesn't really get on board for a while, but...
Yeah, I think he already believes that Wolverine is from the future, which is amazing. Shows how brilliant this guy is, despite his current issues. Right, you and Eric. How would he know about Eric? Okay, so here's the other plastic prison. I mean, that's the thing. They do reuse stuff. They do reuse a decent amount of stuff and recycle and reframe it. Um, you know, this is concrete and sand, so no metal. The plastic prison and X1 and X2. Um, they have plastic guns here, but it's true. Magneto is, you know, one of the top three to five threats on the planet. All right, this is the whole, he killed JFK, and then, you know, Magneto claims that he was trying to save up because he was a mutant. And that, that, uh, I respect that balls for, for trying to pull this off. So, right. So Quicksilver, I guess, is dead in the future. We never see him in the present in the earlier X-Men movies. Now he's the most powerful mutant on the planet, apparently, as we'll see. Uh, in some ways, at least certainly the most useful, and they just let him go. But I have theories about that. And Quicksilver will be back. So, you know, so you have Quicksilver. Okay, so this is Mystique as uh, Dinklage. It's great, you know, how they pull this off. It makes no sense. I mean, she plays big dudes and small women, but play. Yeah, the staircase had to be big enough. We didn't see the transformation. But, you know, just as cool or almost as cool as seeing the physical transformation or the ways they frame the ones that happen behind people or walls or or stairwells just so it's artistic i mean she's beautiful i I mean the character unbelievable just amazing jennifer lawrence does a very good job i mean look she's got the look right here she looks like rebecca roman it's crazy in real life they look totally different but because of the makeup and the looks there's a uh, there's a resemblance, but yeah. Anyways, so <laughs> you know they use Quicksilver here briefly. He's important, um, and then they let him go, and then they introduce a new Quicksilver in the Avengers, and he's great but different and different actor and a different style of Quicksilver, which is totally cool. And then they kill him. <laughs> And then we're getting Evan Peters, uh, the guy that they're about to find, this version of the Quicksilver, <laughs> back in Apocalypse next year. You know, he was way more powerful than the Aaron Taylor Johnson version from, uh, from Ultron. So, uh, to top it all off, both Evan Peters and Aaron Taylor Johnson were in Kick-Ass. So, that got to be not only both superheroes, but the same superhero in two different Marvel universes. You know, with the crying from Mystique, you had to sell that this was really hitting home on a personal level. And you know what? You don't even need it, because Jennifer Lawrence knows how to be both vulnerable and strong. Um, sometimes just vulnerable, you know, as well as any young female actress out there. In fact, you know, McAvoy, you know, is so uh, socially adept when he wants to, and, you know, is naturally, not here yet, but is naturally an outgoing person, it would make sense that his sort of adoptive little sister, who's a little bit more morally confused, or just confused, that she's a little bit uh, more soft-spoken, 
you know, it's not like her character in Silver Lightning's playbook, that's for sure. I love that his mom immediately, okay, the welcome mat been used a million times. His mom thinks it's the cops. I mean, this is great. This is great. You know, people, here's the thing. People say, oh, this action scene coming up, or just this whole character arc is so fantastic. It's the best part of the movie. And it is one of the best parts of the movie in terms of, like, dissecting the parts. But, you know, they didn't have to dwell on this kid so much, but he's so fabulous. Evan Peters, you know, it's completely different from Aaron Taylor Johnson. There must have been some tacit agreement that they weren't going to both have Quicksilver as ongoing with the same personalities, I think. But, you know, who knows? So the idea is his hair is silver from being Quicksilver or because he's like lived a lot of lifetimes through movement? Right, he's thinking he knows what a mutant is, but he's not going to reveal. And this is great, like pawing against himself. Yeah, you had to do it. But the reason it works for me as part of the whole on retrospect is because he represents the period aspect of the period piece so well. I mean, look at this. The the junk foods he's stolen from the 70s, the TVs from the 70s, the posters, the video games. Look at that. National Lampoon with Nixon back there. I just noticed with the long Pinocchio nose. Yep. How do I know I can trust you? You know, takes a good actor to... to uh, takes a good actor to say that line with conviction but subtlety yeah it's it's uh you want the adamantium here's the problem the only way he's gonna get the adamantium is by willingly or unwillingly submitting to striker's project now now that his brain is back in the future or present i guess you would say past wolverine is gonna be past wolverine he he's gonna know everything he knew up to the moment when he almost drowns and gets rescued by well we think it's striker for a second but it's not exactly striker but striker you know striker tortured and tormented and mutilated him i mean you know you never want to you never want to root for that okay so here's where the big heist comes uh beast with the uh, old school antenna device which controls everything in the white house apparently with a few knobs or sorry the pentagon no metal beyond this point um yeah what can you say you know it's the only way to take down magneto this is great that's the thing this movie does have a lot of humor you know it's so dark and not just the scenario, but the the uh, you know Eric Charles relationship, the Magneto Professor X relationship is very dark from both sides. The duct tape, I guess they did have duct tape in '73. You know, it's a constant you know ca- uh, calculus of, of what they did or did not have. Sanford and Son, oh, that's great. Yeah, that must have been one of Hank's favorite shows. I'm just laughing at Evan Peters. This dude is brilliant. So, you know, second time they're bringing Magneto out of a jail. Slightly different strategy for a slightly different jail. Here comes the food that's not just food. You know, this is the teamwork. The team is working together so rarely, you know, all of them in this movie. But when they do, it's glorious. 
All right, so this is a brilliant idea. I assume Quicksilver has pulled this in the 50 years of Marvel or however long. Quicksilver, the character, has existed. <laughs> Look at that smile. Um, he must have done the, the rapid vibration thing before, but I did not see this coming. It's like, what? I mean, although as soon as he puts his hands on, you're like, oh, shit. Now, it would have been tempting to show him flashing, but he's just flashing his hands, I guess, is the idea. Also expensive to show him flashing in place for this long. <laughs> he's smiling. Yeah, I mean, this, you know, uh, they call him Peter. Uh, in the comics, he's this guy's son. They do make a reference to that. That's an awesome shot. Fast spender in slow motion. <laughs> it just looks amazing, even when you can't see his face. I don't know what it is. All right, they're giving a military history. Got no idea what's going on. The device which controls everything. Yeah, Eric doesn't really question it. Yeah, he's already thinking about how to get his ass out of here. Okay, and this is another skill I didn't know about. Now, we definitely can see that Quicksilver and the Avengers can do this. Whiplash. Um, he carries his sister all over the place. The difference is, Elizabeth Olsen weighs like 80 pounds. Ma Michael Fassbender must weigh like 215 when he's fully jacked. That was totally a Matrix thing there. That's the thing, as great as this all is, this is the Matrix interpretation. Not this, but, you know, the, the David Bowie scene coming up. This is a Matrix interpretation of Quicksilver, which I'm totally down uh, with. Aaron Taylor Johnson's version was more subtle. I, they're going to have trouble limiting Quicksilver. I mean, you literally can't stop him. You know, you can't even put your hands on him if you wanted to. Wow. <laughs> you killed the president? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah Fassbender almost has too much gravitas as young Lanshire I like when he's more mischievous maybe he's trying to imitate Ian McKellen too much McAvoy doesn't even try McAvoy just plays his interpretation it's brilliant he's just saying nothing here he doesn't accomplish anything trying to talk these guys to death Man, these are not full bad guys, so we can't kill them. <laughs> He's still asking questions for Magneto. They told me you control metal. Here it is. My mom once knew a guy. <laughs> so they they could not do that in the Avengers. Because they don't own Magneto. Now this is great. <laughs> Old friend. Never quite means it. Or at least gives you reason to question whether he means it. They have a media chemistry. No killing. Uh-huh. Yeah, he finds out soon that he doesn't have the powers, but right now he thinks that X still has powers, I assume. And, and Fastminder does what McKellen does as Magneto, which is be humble 
you know, fakely humble in all the right moments to get what you want. Alright, here we go. This is gonna kill everyone. Here it comes. Right, even those bullet shots, that's like the slow-mo in the uh, Reloaded. But, you know, the Matrix never really attempted this exact scene, obviously, with the lightheartedness. Of the, and it's, sorry, not David Bowie, I can't remember who sings the song. It's brilliant. The lyrics are so, you know, obviously tied to the scene. Don't even try and hide it. The cap. He's just screwing with people. Boop, boop, boop. That's the thing. You gotta make him get tired. Even though Aaron Taylor Johnson's Quicksilver was less powerful, despite that, he still had to make him get tired. Um, So this more powerful version, I I don't really know. I mean, you know. It's implied that Neo could do this. I mean, you'd think Neo could move through every part of the Matrix you know, instantaneously or near instantaneously. Not through his body, then through his code, which is the whole point. So, you know, this is the quote-unquote real world. No one's going to die. They're all just going to punch each other, shoot the walls. I like that. So, it's just, it's really hard to compare. Because, you know, you already thought going into Avengers Age of Ultron that, you know, Quicksilver would be great, but it's not going to be this, you know, old-school style cool. But because of his relationship with Elizabeth Olsen, the Scarlet Witch, is actually a far more compelling character. Uh, you know, I, I, I would trade, you know, five great action scenes for, you know, two all-time great drama scenes, for example. A- a- anytime. I love action. I love the comic book stuff. But it's all about the characters and the drama and the dialogue and the narrative. And this doesn't do much really to advance the narrative. It's just a cool scene in the middle of the movie. I'm not sure they really need to introduce him. Now, the fact that he's going to be back in, I assume, a bigger role in X-Men Apocalypse 2016 next year, as of this recording. So, that's great. But, you know... (laughs) They could have found a way to get him out without such extreme measures. I guess that's the point. So, everything on the airplane is amazing. And there's so much character development, you know... (laughs) <laughs> on this little tiny plane over a handful of scenes. Uh, but this is, you know, I, I love the Quicksilver stuff, but right now I'm like, okay, now the shit is going to get thrown down because Eric is out. They need his help. Can never trust them. And there's major emotional unfinished business between him and Charles. And thus begins the airing of grievances. And as I mentioned... For me, James McAvoy is by far the best part of this movie. He just he just owns it, doesn't take anything away, but it's always through their relationships with him that the other actors are great. And, you know, Fassbender, although a great Magneto, is great through his relationship with, with Charles. I sacrificed my power so I could sleep. Exactly. That's the thing. You'd think he just wants to walk, but he's doing the drugs more for his brain than than caring about walking. Yeah, it's interesting to think what set him over the top in the first place. Here we go. This is Hollywood, people. You abandoned me. Took her away. You abandoned me. Now Magneto's blaming all these mutant deaths on Professor X. 
Man, Magneto's gonna tear it apart. It's interesting to think whether this is a mutant thing where they get angry and shit happens. Uh, like a little bit of a Gandalf shot there. Look at the shadow behind them. And, yeah, it's just a show. I don't know. This is why you can never trust Magneto. He's too angry. There's no coming back. I mean, he was not only in a concentration camp. I saw his parents killed. He was experimented on by the Nazis. Just got out of jail for the last 10 years, trying to save a mutant or so he claims. But that scene back there... I know this is not an Academy Award type movie, but if you were going to submit be the last like two minutes or so those two together and the thing is Hugh Jackman doesn't say shit until now when he says yeah yeah I said you were an asshole best buddies in the future this is great yep <laughs> you're a survivor yep thing is you know, future Wolverine I'm sure still does not like uh, you know future Magneto played by Ian McKellen but he has to have some respect for him after everything they've been through, I suppose. Um, and, but there, Jackman's trying to relate to Magneto. They know they have to try and turn him. He's not turned yet, and they're going to see very soon that he's not turned. Uh, but, but, you know, during during the Academy Award exchange between uh, Fassbender and McAvoy, Jackman's just sitting there, and they don't shoot on him too much, but when they do, it's like he's... He's the least scared, obviously, but he's taking it all in. And he's trying to figure out how to help McAvoy turn turn Magneto, but... Oh, God. Jennifer Lawrence. Finally, full glory. I mean, this is a very similar look to American Hustle, which I hated. I don't love all her movies. It's rarely her fault. I won't even go to the Hunger Games, but look at her. This is this is even better costuming and makeup than in American Hustle, which I only saw once, so maybe I'm misremembering. She's a very different character, that one. She's the high drag, to say the least. And so, you know, it's this form that Xavier in First Class, the previous movie to this, where they're setting up these characters... He's like, why don't you stay in that form? And it's not just because she's beautiful, but because it just seems, you know, natural as a secondary form. But she doesn't think she should have to, you know, put on a facade for anyone, including Charles, especially Charles. Looks can be deceiving. (laughs) But as you know, looks can be deceiving, which brings me back. Close off. Yeah, they just make this guy straight up skeevy. I guess it's not hard to get to the top of the uh, North Vietnamese military. Uh, by the way, coming up, just so I don't forget it, Dinklage congratulates the North Vietnamese on winning. Okay, so putting up your leg that high. Okay, so that's someone else's leg. I really don't think that's Jennifer Lawrence's leg. Even in the initial kick, could be wrong. Close-up makeup's amazing thing is, they didn't have to improve it. Remain was perfect. If anything, they they dialed it down a little bit. Rebecca Remain, that is. We played Mystique in the first couple of X-Men movies, and it was fabulous. Yeah, Rebecca Romaine in those movies is almost like Trisha Helfer in Battlestar. It's like a model that's never acted and is fantastic at it, but unlike Trisha Helfer, never really saw Rebecca Romaine much. 
Since then, here's the chess stuff. We know that they connect over chess from the future versions and the past movies. Okay, so I've talked about how prequels don't work, but we'll see how Apocalypse is. But if the jump in quality goes up even a third as much as between First Class and this one with this cast, I know it's not technically a prequel and there's time travel stuff going on, but this you know, will be the best series of prequel movies ever because of this cast and because Brian Singer's taken over again and he, he is the one. He knows what he's doing with X-Men. Gotta be Brian Singer. I'd love to see a Wolverine movie with Brian Singer. All right, here's the JFK thing, trying to save it. And of course, you know, McAvoy's not going to believe him. He, but he plays it perfectly. He wants to. He, he Okay, he exhales. You're thinking, no, he's going to believe him. Yeah, but he's, that's the thing. You know, Eric here resents and, you know, disagrees with Xavier. Charles pities him. Uh, And we'll see that for sure at the very end of the movie, that he truly pities him. He's asking about Raven. Exactly, little things like that. Eric gave a bullshit answer, and you know, and uh, and Charles called him on it, but mostly because he really wants to know. I could see why she meant so much to you. So, uh, you know, having not seen this in a while, I, I, when I did the commentaries for the first X Men, I couldn't remember if there was an implied or actual sexual. I couldn't remember if there was an implied or actual sexual relationship between. This version of Eric and uh, Raven, played by Jennifer Lawrence. This movie hints very strongly that that's the case. And if you put it in continuity with the first two, which you can't because the time is different now, but it's somewhat implied in that movie, you know, that Rebecca Romaine and Ian McKellen were getting it on. Sir Ian, too bad he's gay. (laughs) You know? Oh, man. I'm sorry, Charles. Right, this is the feigned humility to get what he wants. He doesn't believe any of this. Charles doesn't believe him either. He's too drunk. Right, enough serious talk. Let's play some chess. (laughs) And this is... I haven't really talked about this because they don't stress it in the first couple of movies. He just seems like muscle that happens to be the leader. But, you know... Eric Lencher in the comics, and as portrayed here, is a very, very, very smart man. He's one of the only people sort of intellectually that can keep up with Charles, and that was part of their relationship, and continues to be part of their relationship. Alright, so, everything that goes down in Paris is so well done. So, you know, this is where they really sell the 70s stuff. I mean, they they have already in, in smaller, you know, sets, smaller pieces. But to take over a city like Paris and, you know, and, and wind the clock back 40, 50 years is very impressive. <laughs> Congratulations on winning the war to the enemy. This so-called American patriot. Look at how they frame this. It's great. You know, you're not distracted at all by the bigger guy next to him because it's Peter fucking Dinklage. 
So I don't know why having the North Vietnamese buy into this program, even if they could afford it, which they can't because their country is destroyed by us, you know, despite their quote unquote winning the war is really us losing the war. So, uh, you know, is this how desperate Trask has gotten uh, that he needs to sell it to the uh, the North Vietnamese? I mean, they have to be at like number 196 on the World Economic Index. Who cares? Right, everyone's got sunglasses. This is the thing, the teamwork stuff that they do do in this movie, although short and few, is always feels like a highest job, which is, you know, which is great, and the genre fits with the time. <laughs> yeah, the, the thing is, you can use cheesy plastic devices with red lights because it's the 70s. Brian Singer must have been loving this, you know, I, uh, <laughs> yep, it's activated, yeah, and unlike later, we know exactly who is the, uh, the one who's activated. <laughs> I don't know if that's just Mystique portraying how this guy would be. You know, Mystique seems actually surprised. He'd have this device on him as I would be surprised. Don't shoot it. That sums it up. Uh-oh. This isn't gonna... Uh, yeah, that... This slow... I mean, this blend of the actual guy... Oh, my God. This is the best Mystique scene ever, I think, in terms of the filming and the reveal. And, I mean, this this feels like the Nightcrawler opening. Um, the Nightcrawler cold open to uh, X2. It's just so classic. Right, takes on everyone but Stryker and uh, Trask. So, you know, this is what it's all come down to. Get all the central characters together. So she's drawn to Professor X. So this is interesting, right? So we know that Wolverine recognizes Future Striker, right? Who we just saw very briefly, played by Brian Cox, who's, who's maniacally evil and in a very appealing way at that movie. But he definitely must know the old Striker, and even though he doesn't look anything like Brian Cox to Wolverine, he does. Probably can smell him actually. You know, I think Wolverine can smell mutants. I, I don't know if that theory is supported by anything. Is this another lefty here? Yeah, it's another... It's unbelievable. I wonder if they just do it now in Hollywood for all actors because it just seems normal that it's with the left hand. Uh-oh, here we go. More slow-mo. This is great. Uses his hand to fire the bullet. She goes out the window. Um, So, you know, it's like with uh, Yondu's arrow in Guardians of the Galaxy. To what extent... Does he actually have to see the thing to control it? I mean, this is like a heat-seeking bullet. I think he just got lucky. Because if he really had control, he'd kill her. I think that's the idea. Yeah, he got semi-lucky. All right, okay. So, in the rogue cut, the extended cut, which I'll only talk about briefly, 
the the, the rogue plotline, which actually involves more Kitty Pride in some ways than other characters, which is good, starts right around here. Ellen Page gets hurt so bad by Logan lashing out that they need to go find Rogue, who is, you know, a prisoner that's tortured by the Sentinel people so that she can absorb Kitty Pride's powers and continue it. But it is distraction is awesome as the visuals are it's really well edited together with the main story too and the thing is one of my biggest complaints oh here we go so you know they're, they're using uh direct footage from the first two x-men movies in terms of his flashbacks right now we restrain him this is great the yeah the beautiful 70s black lady with the afro <laughs> this poor woman But, uh, anyways, I I thought I wanted more future stuff in this, but when I watched the extended cut with more future stuff, Magneto really gets to kick ass, as does Bobby, in the rogue rescue mission, but it did slow down the narrative of the main part of this movie, and so it actually made me appreciate the theatrical cut more that we're watching right now. What the hell's that? Yeah, this is he tells him he's on an acid trip to calm him down. Yeah, that's the thing. That's that's Jennifer Lawrence killing it back there, begging him not to kill her. Here's the beast, and what I love is, the, you know, at first all the cameras are, are are shaking around on Mystique, but now Beast is going to end up being the one that's the image on the front of the papers as he gets sort of Matrix style crucified by uh, by Magneto. You're on acid. You know, it takes special actors, especially lead actors in serious movies like this to deliver that little bit of comedic respite. God, McAvoy's so brilliant. That's the thing. You know, I talk about watching certain movies for villains like Loki or Heath Ledger as the Joker, but sometimes you watch it for the lead protagonists, especially when they have, like, so many dimensions to them and and just, like, endlessly interesting and continually evolving the way Professor X does is portrayed by McAvoy here, James McAvoy. Oh yeah, Beast let's go. He should have killed him or knocked him out. Here it comes. Oh no wait, this isn't the Matrix thing. That's later with Wolverine. Looks pretty good. I mean, the thing is, you know, Beast is so appealing looking because Nick Holt is a great looking guy and the makeup's so practical and not over the top. So they had to do some reshoots, I think, with this crew, or at least Ellen Page. Um, Just have her continue doing it and forget Anna Paquin's side plot existed. He let Stryker go. And the thing is, you know, he's going to need Stryker to give him the adamantium. Uh, I don't know how that's going to work. I guess, right, when this is resolved, his consciousness goes back to present-day Wolverine that we see at the very, very end. Um, and so 1973 Wolverine here, and we'll go back to being 1973 Wolverine and probably getting fucked with by the Canadian government or whoever, or, uh, whoever Stryker is working for other than himself. Yeah, this is, this is somewhat similar in tone to the Hulk in Johannesburg realizing 
somewhat realizing that after being mind controlled that he'd done a lot of bad damage. Um, Beast didn't actually do bad damage to anyone. He was trying to save people, but that recognition of people looking at him like a monster, which Joss Whedon talks about in the Avengers movies. With mutants, you don't need to use the word monster because it's already loaded. (laughs) Charles laughs. And that's the thing. This Logan, he doesn't have time to think about it. Uh, this just occurred to me. <laughs> this Logan, you know, if, you, if he thinks too hard, you know, if he, 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 let's put it this way. 1973 Logan here with a consciousness from 2014 has no way of communicating to his normal 1973 self about the bad things that are going to happen. Now, he should tell... Um, McAvoy, and maybe he does. We're gonna see next year at Apocalypse. You know, I mean, it's the Striker experiments may happen, but they're not gonna happen the way that we've seen them so far. If I know Brian Singer, and they're really doing the reboot, and that's the thing. It's hard to call it a prequel. It's almost like the Star Trek reboot on nine. They did reboot the franchise, but they are trying to maintain some continuity through the time travel stuff. So it's it's between a, a reboot and a and a prequel. Oh, Kennedy's assassination. What about that thing? Yeah, Nixon, not a fan of the mutants. I don't know where they dug up this guy. He looks just like, it sounds just like Nixon. Somehow Trask is now back with the ear of the president. You know, it doesn't all add up, but it's not Dinklage's fault. that He makes it... Yeah, he's almost like Smith, you know? He's such a psychotic way of talking. You just never want it to stop. You know, like Hugo Weaving, I mean, Dinklage could read a grocery list and you'd be hysterical on the floor. <laughs> Any defense? My hair knows. Directly off the books. okay so where did the prototypes come from he must have money already obviously that's how he got here the fact that he has to explain about you know mutants are out there and they look like us there's just not that much education this is the perfect time that's the thing in the beginning of public consciousness about mutants is the perfect time for the sentinel program to happen and that is why they set it there in the marvel comics and are resetting it here you know we've already seen discrimination of mutants over the last 15 years set in the present day but not to this extent or or, you know future sentinel uh, program that we've seen that this is launching you know, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, in 2000, in quote-unquote real-time or Marvel time, everyone in the world knows what a mutant is. They might love them, they might hate them, they might have mixed feelings about them. This is Jennifer Lawrence killing it again. But back, back at this time, it, they're mostly unknown or, like, rumored, you know, like vampires or something. Yeah, this nurse is trying to make small talk with a woman who's not a woman, you know, and... If this sweet nurse has such negative feelings, you know, I mean, now here's Magneto stitching himself. It's great. Uh, but it's like, it's almost like he can see through, like, 
it, it's like the metal has eyes that he can see with. I don't know. But, um, you know, if that sweet nurse felt that way, what about all the, you know, rest of the people, I'd say the majority, who naturally distrust anyone or anything different? The fact that they are just constantly referring to the mutants as things is a great narrative way to continue to communicate, you know, how close mutants are constantly to, you know, extinction or at least persecution. This is a great exchange. Had to have this. You know, I mean, Jennifer Lawrence was amazing, crying on the ground, begging not to die, but to put her in power. He, again, is telling half-truths. I mean, that's the thing. Fassbender is such a psycho. It's like, you know, does he even know what truths he's telling? He's already bought into his lies. Those are the, the you know, the, the formula for the really scary bad villain is A, very powerful, B, has evil intentions, but C, believes his own lies and gets other people to believe his lies. It's interesting to think if he hadn't tried to kill Raven earlier, if she would come back to his fold. They're creating a weapon. Right, and this is an actual truth. Yeah, seen too many friends die, don't want a war. You know, nothing groundbreaking here, but it's the emotions playing on their faces. Charles thinks she's lost her way. You know, Magneto thinks she's lost her way. Their ways are very different. By the way, everything was filmed in Quebec. Essentially, no Paris, so kudos. That's a great line. Killing one man isn't enough. Never was for you. That's the thing. You know, she's fine killing Trask if that had actually achieved her goal. Now she knows, you know, or has been told that that it's not going to achieve her goal, but the opposite. But she doesn't want us to start killing people because they're people and they're not mutants. Magneto, you know, many levels uh, either feels that way or has, um, you know, kind of instincts. Um, twisted instincts to feel that way. Okay, here it comes. The drug addict. God, McAvoy, just, it's so hard to sell voices in your head. I mean, Famke Jensen is Jean Grey in the first couple X-Men movies. Um, he's, he's good at it, but look at him. I mean, this is nomination where they, I, I think, I remember that seeing it in the theater. Oh my god, they all come back. This is so hard to sell. You don't even know. And the writing is excellent, but it only works with with brilliant actors like this. You don't know how old he is. Is he 28? Is he 40? That's great. That's the thing. He He's actually young, but he, he acts like an elder statesman of Shakespeare and theater. I mean, look at this guy. Oh. Yeah, roll out the sleeve. It's like the heroin injection. He's licking his lips. He's sweating. Oh, here it comes. He looks at it. And this is Wolverine's big moment. 
and I'm talking about in the entirety of the X-Men movie series, because he gets Charles to give up the needle and get back his powers without telling him to do it. Even that look on his face as, as Xavier was thinking about it, you know, Jackman's just staring at him, you know, do what you think is right, man. You know, it's like, it's always better to not shame people, but, you know, lay out the facts and hopefully they, you know, make the right conclusions and make the right choices. And I think in terms of the series, from this moment forward, you know, there will be travails and and emotional journeys for the the greatest professor, but, you know, he's going to be Professor X, as I mentioned earlier, for a long time to come. I don't know in what capacity, but Apocalypse is such a horrible bad guy, and they have so many other bad guys and good guys in Apocalypse, the movie. Um, He's going to have to be Patrick Stewart, Zen level, um, uh, you know, Professor X. But he'll still have his personality. I hope he still drinks whiskey. I think that's that'd be a nice way to humanize. Not a lot. It's just you know, every night have a have a, a shot or two of whiskey. I can see Professor X. You know, you gotta you gotta ease off. You know, you gotta settle yourself down sometimes. So they didn't get Mystique, at least not yet. They found her blood. They thought they could extract it. Now they need more. Um, maybe that was a misdirect, that the blood was going to be enough. In terms of the blood's a sp- uh, splatch outside the uh, blood spot outside the uh, Vietnamese conference in Paris. Here it is. Dreger hates mutants too. He had, but this is it, right? Trask admires them. Mutants are our salvation. They're death. Common struggle. This is, I mean, that's the thing. He's talking like Stalin or, or Hitler. He's worse than Stryker. Stryker is just a military scientist with some bad ideas and evil intentions and no respect for human or mutant life. But Trask is truly, I mean, long-lasting peace. He's like the Emperor. He's like Palpatine. Yeah. He's so much eviler than he comes off of. Um, I, I mean, he, he's, he's much eviler than his performance on the surface would suggest, just because it's Dinklage, who always has a twinkle in his eye. But if you break down his ideology and ideas, it's pretty ugly. Okay. So when I'm in the theater and they're in the X cave and it looks exactly the same, super high-tech futuristic, you'd think you'd roll your eyes. But I was so glad because he needed the connection. It would make sense that he'd spend tons of money on this thing and be way ahead of his time. Now, there's little touches. The digital voice that says, welcome, professor, is not the smooth, you know, Siri-type voice. It's like, welcome, professor. And then, you know, he's in the old wheelchair uh, and then, you know, there's dials and knobs, and, and this is all very metallic and electronic-y, absolutely brilliant. Puts it in the past while rooting it in the present slash future. So this is great. So the first time through, he's uh, he goes nuts, and the dials all blow up, I think, here, and he, and he almost loses it. 
Now, there, there's a Raven subplot where she comes to the mansion and infiltrates in the extended. I kind of hope it's not in this one, because it's so impossible to believe. Way more impossible than the time travel scenario. So, you know. They keep finding new awesome ways to manifest the Rebro, where it always looks like the same system, but it's just moving in different ways. The images are different. The color schemes of the red and white do have variation. I love that you can see it just by being inside Cerebro. You know, it makes no sense, but you have to do it. Have these guys witness it. I mean, this is just a giant green screen. Here we go. Primal Scream, McAvoy killing it. I mean, it, it's his movie. It's his movie. I mean, it really should be called, you know, X-Men colon The Professor <laughs> or something. Star is starring Hugh Jackman as a secondary lead. Yeah, th- this is the thing. I give this an A minus, a strong A minus. This movie, but this doesn't enter A minus. Oh, look at this! His heart. He's trying to. It's broken. He's broken. I, I feel like one of my students. I, this is the thing. I could watch this movie just for him and do, and will continue to do so. All right, this is it. Boom. He's going to tell him the whole story. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a great character flip for Logan to end up being an advisor to Professor X, to younger Professor X. Right. I was your most helpless student. It's referring to X1, X2. Professor turned him around, as did Rogue and Jean and the whole crew. It's in- yeah, I, it's the mind melt thing here, where Charles gets to talk to Charles. Uh, I, you know, did Wolverine come up with this just now? It seems like Patrick Stewart would have would have thought of this, but who cares? He's waiting for the the most dire moment. So whoever came up with it, it's exactly what needs to be done. So, you know, it's like the Vulcan thing, the way they do with the fingers, but it's so effective. Oh, uh, there's Gene. Okay, here we go. Kill me. This gives me chills every time. They reference this and everything involving Wolverine, because it's Famke Jensen, and it's so horrifying. She says, kill me. He says, I love you. Here he goes, no, I don't want your suffering. I don't want your future. Oh, God. That's the thing. Jackman keeping an even keel. This is his best performance yet. As Wolverine. I mean, it gets better every time, but this is definitely the best. Look at him. Yeah. McAvoy. Here it is. The Zen starts to come in. Oh, this is so cool. He's waking up in the future. This is brilliant. This is brilliant. To not only, you know, put him in the future, but to do so effortlessly in a way that totally makes sense, which is through, you know psychological means by telepathic means so the idea is he is now in wolverine's head in the future 
he's somehow able to get a, you know, full view of what's going on. It's like his spirit is hovering. Now he's trying to get into, you know, older Charles' brain. (laughs) You know, I mean, this is a passing of the torch, theoretically, and practically as well. I mean, we're not going to see much Patrick Stewart going forward. We're going to see a lot of James McAvoy. But the torch really does not need... The torch really does not need to be uh, passed, although I'm fine with it because it's an amazing scene, just because McAvoy is Professor X. He is. He's the one I want to see. I love Patrick Stewart. I'm so excited for, you know, young James here to to keep this going. Hopefully, like the Wolverine. It's so much different than the Wolverine, but so important. Maybe more important. I mean, the books is more important. Wolverine comes in and out. Professor's always there. Right? So he's asking his future self for advice about how to calm past self. And the thing is, this is one of those time loop questions. You know, does past Patrick, does past Professor X, you know, James McAvoy's time, is he able to ever get it under control on his own without communicating with his future self, but can only exist in this time loop? Love it. Impossible to answer. The movie doesn't dwell on these things. It's more of like a Terminator John Connor thing, but I love that shit. More powerful than you ever imagined. You need that line. That's the thing. You give that line to Patrick Stewart. You're like, uh-huh, more powerful. Yep, mm, exactly. Hope. Oh, he's seeing the school. I always forget this. They don't have to explain it. He can just see it. And then and then Logan, you know, makes some promise in the end to make it happen. Look at that shot. These two great actors. Oh, seamless. Out of the vision. Totally zen. This is it. This is it. Yeah, this is, this is the Avengers moment. They need their leader to come together. And they need him to come together to make them come together. Yes, it is. Power's back on. Boom. You know, back there, uh, Patrick Stewart says, It's not their pain you're afraid of. It's yours, Charles. That pain will make you stronger if you allow yourself to feel it, embrace it. It's the greatest gift we have to bear their pain without breaking. Man, is that beautiful writing. And delivery. The problem with these movies is, you know, that the action and music is so much louder than, uh, than the, the the dialogue. Doing the commentary here, I don't want it to bleed over, so I'm doing what I can. Okay, so this is something that took me a long time to get on board with. You know, just being a mutant X-Men nerd, you know, you want these logistics to work. So... It seems way too convenient. He could just take... Yeah, okay, now we're in full CGI mode, but I'm cool with it because this is a call, that's a callback to the, you know, the opening uh, CGI carnival ride. Robots look not amazing here, but when we really see them, they look great. We'll get back to that. Uh, there's the sensor on the inside. It's uh, uh, shaped like a heart. Never really, never really uh, put that together. So, you know what? The sound and visuals are amazing. It's a great concept to use the train tracks, even though way too convenient. All right, so, you know, 
So with Kitty slowly dying here, this is when the rogue stuff happens. And that's the thing, you know, the, the cut stuff doesn't even come till an hour and a half in. I totally get why they cut it. You got to have the main story move forward. They need more time. Yeah, and that's and that's another brilliant thing. It wasn't a one-way uh, communication in terms of message. Yes, you know, young Charles needed to get guidance from old Charles, but it also informed old Charles that the plan is in motion, and you know they're trying to make this happen and change the future. This is amazing. I mean, this is one of those top uh, comic book movie scenes ever. Look at this. I mean, he talks to her through like two dozen people. Right. Oh, yeah, so she yeah, she criticizes Magneto for killing too many people, but she's ready to do it. Right, she says, I have compassion. You're thinking she's going to say, just not for humans. She says, not for Trask. But she's saying, you know, anyone who thinks like Trask. And that's the, that's the important thing. Professor X never hates, or, you know, he never embraces hatred because he knows in the end it's going to be ineffective and cause problems for everyone, as we see in this movie. You have to pity. You have to sympathize. Even if they're terrible people, look at Jayla. That's what they, they get to dress her up in all this 70s shit in this movie. Totally worth it just for that. But this, when he appears to her, you think it's just going to be people. But the way they block this, look at this. So he's here. He's talking to her straight up. This is great because we get to see you know these two leads back and forth, extended periods, right up on the face. They're almost looking right into the camera. So hard to do. I mean, you're trained as a movie you know actor to never look into the camera unless instructed to. But that's the thing about McAvoy. He, he's you know he's got an interesting nose and an interesting look, but he's just so appealing looking from every angle. I definitely have a man crush on him. He's in man crush territory. For sure, with Chris Hemsworth and Eddie Redmayne. For me, it's all about charisma with with guys. In terms of my in terms of my man crushes and wannabe bromances. So, did they just cut out the whole thing? Okay, so we got Captain Kirk talking about going backward in time. You know, this is what the Matrix setup would look like in 1973. Yeah, he's so proud. We got all three channels and PBS. (laughs) And Logan's like, oh, all three. So, here's the team coming together, trying to hatch a plan. Mutant issue. Yeah, I mean, you know, for Mystique to multiple times not realize what the, you know, the complications and consequences will be that come out of this. Here we go. Quantum physics, time is immutable, it's a river. Yeah, 
and, and this is a bit, right, and this this goes back to my argument before about whether future Professor X could ever exist without coming back and you know advising you know past Professor X or vice versa. Right. So he he's implying that the, the that there's sort of political timelines that diverge or do not diverge but he's really talking about mystique you know that's the thing singer introduces the time travel stuff but he always connects it back to the characters or tries to this is like i said you know now now he's professor x for the first time in almost two movies he's talking like patrick stewart i refuse to give up on her i still have hope i still have belief but because you have actors like mcavoy and stewart you know, I mean, it, it's totally believable. It is. It's totally digestible. You know, and as great as Cap is, it is nice to have the the moral leader be an old man in a wheelchair instead of a uh, frat boy boy scout. Sorry, that's I love Cap. That's not nice. He is a boy scout. He's definitely not a frat boy though. He, I think, greatly uh, despises frat boys. Okay, so very little civilian killing in the final part of this movie, which is, you know, they're not real people, but you have to show the consequences, you know? There's all this destruction, all this hatred. You don't see the consequences. Right? He goes in to get the helmet, and, uh, and the music with the helmet, fast bender. Oh yeah, great image. I mean, that's the thing. Singer knows how. Yeah, you could make like five full trailers of this movie with cinematic shots that weren't the same. Yeah, there, there's a whole subplot. Did they cut that out? They must have. Yeah, there's a whole subplot where Mystique comes to the mansion, doesn't even try and hide it. You know, has sex with Beast. You know, I guess they had a past. And then sabotages Cerebro, which she did in the first X-Men movie. It made no sense. I'm glad they cut that out. I didn't remember it. Yeah, here it is. Yep, and this is it. And this is Logan doing it again. He's asking. He's begging. He's not telling. He's not ordering. He's not threatening. Okay, so what's great about this is the names. He says, remember those names? Gene, Storm, Scott... Those are all the new X-Men. We're going to get the young versions. Oh, man. Sophie Turner as Jean Grey and, and Apocalypse next year. Uh, th- th- boom. There it is. Charles. Totally honest. A little unsure. Buying in. I'll do my best. And, you know, you expect Logan to be like, that's not good enough. Nope. That's good enough. Your best is good enough. He hasn't been giving it his best is the idea. Professor X giving anything his best is, you know, it's pretty much unstoppable. At least from a kind of moral leadership standpoint. Here we go. So, all right. So we're an hour and a half in and coming back to the future. And this is when they have to start intersplicing things. Now, in the theatrical cut, it's been a while since we've seen any fighting here. There's way more in the extended. But it kind of makes it cooler to do it this way, honestly. You know, it seemed like such a cock tease in the beginning. But but what this movie's about... They really give it to us. They do. They give us the cotton candy, but they also give us the, uh, you know, the uh, perfectly filleted salmon. <laughs> great. Yeah, this is great. Okay, so here comes the Obi-Wan. 
McAvoy just cracks me. Yes, you may. Obi-Wan Kenobi. These two are with me. Go ahead. Thank you. That's got to be a nod to uh, to Obi-Wan, the first Star Wars. Yeah. Logan's not used to <laughs> stepping through metal detectors and not going off. I guess they had metal detectors back in 73. They had to with the president, I suppose. So, you know, this final scene is all about drama, and they try and sexy it up with a giant stadium drop. It's it's not bad, you know, and, and the thing is, you needed to set up the future fighting, because that's where the, you know, the combat conflict comes. Dinklage is barely clapping for Dixon. He is, he's... He's such a dictator wannabe, you know? But the thing is, you could make it into a quote-unquote Napoleon complex. I don't mean that to be an insult. I'm not a tall guy myself. But, you know, again, his desire to be a Napoleon or Hitler is just totally based on his personality and nothing about his physical characteristics. Nixon's quoting Oppenheimer to release killer robots. Amazing. Oppenheimer is rolling in his grave about his own actions. Yep, Logan's taking it in. He knows what those are going to look like in a few decades. Yeah, yeah. They don't even have to do the eyes there. You know, that's a mistake. All right, this makes no sense. Um, You know, there's a football stadium thing here, and then there's one in the Dark Knight Rises. This, they lift the stadium and the Dark Knight rises, the whole thing collapses. I'll never take Batman's side over the X-Men, but it's at least scarier a little bit in the Dark Knight rises. This is just absurd. So it's all concrete, but I guess it has, you know, metal um, lining to it. You know, I mean, that's a a lot of metal that we're not seeing. Ah, yeah, Magneto flying. They're very restrained on that. I like that. All right, here we go. Okay, so in the Firefly TV series, the the capital ships look like giant floating apartment buildings. And even though it's in space, where that shouldn't make a difference, it just looks really dumb, and they fixed it for the movie. That these vertical ships, because they don't need speed, they need coverage of the Sentinels. I actually love the minimalist design. I'm always saying you don't need more than gray. It's all about texture and shape and lighting. You know, this is just this is just your stock apocalypse stuff. Kids looking up in the air and there's aliens. Okay, so yeah, so earlier, there's those guards guarding his helmet, and he gets the metal balls, just like X2, but he knocks them in the head, and they just get knocked out. X2, he starts killing people. I don't know what's happened the last 10 years. You can't kill, you can't kill civilians. He really just lowers the stakes. I mean, look, these robots are going to fly, going to, tr- you know, shoot up the place. You don't see anyone die. Now, these robots look at least as good as the Ultron robots. They might even look better, they're just because they're more, a little bit more realistic in terms of design. 
uh, and not as cartoonish. But, you know, they, they don't do anything other than shoot up cop cars. See, this is new Logan. Old Logan would just have knocked that guy off his feet. Current Wolverine is a little bit more tricky than that. Here we go. They Okay. All right. So everyone's going to die, but you know, this is it, I think that's why they don't kill a lot of civilians cuz it's really gratuitous mutant um Ooh, that was a nice parallel of Storm flying and the robot flying. I never noticed that. Yeah, they keep going back to the 70s style video cameras. It's just great. It's so gruesome and sad, the mutant deaths. You know, I guess that's the idea. Even with evil mutants like this guy, you know, what the humans are capable of is way worse. And that guy has to play on his face that he is Jennifer Lawrence and thinking the way Mystique would be thinking, which is, I don't know what sign I'm on here. They love shooting and flipping cop cars and X-Men. I think it's a Brian Singer thing. I, I think it's conscious. It's kind of like his trademark, you know. Pyro. Flipping them on fire and X2. And I think Magneto drops a whole bunch of them after raising up in X1. Oh, this is great. Storm. Crashing all of these things. She's so powerful. We have to imagine she's gotten even more powerful just by necessity and by age, but there's just too many Sentinels. This is their first all-on attack. Never really explained, you know, why now they're able to find Professor X and company all of a sudden. Um, it does imply that, you know, Kenny Pride has her hands next to Wolverine's head for quite a long time. Here we go. Storm, boom, lightning. I love Bishop. Look at his eyes. Oh, my God, his skin. It's like the power gem, but red. Yeah, here we go. Boom, portal from Blank. Shoots through the portal before they can even get there. So he's shooting them, and they're not even that close yet. Oh, man. Yeah, needed the future stuff for action, absolutely. This is, the main part of this movie is not an action movie. There's the Quicksilver stuff, there's the Magneto stuff, you know, there's Paris, brief fight, but it's not what this movie's about, you know? And I've avoided this topic, but this movie beat Winter Soldier in 2014, Captain America the Winter Soldier. It made slightly less than Guardians. Now, Guardians made a lot more relatively domestically, but X-Men's Hall overseas was the biggest more than guardians more than cat more than amazing spider-man more than any of those movies and you know there's a reason that foreigners like x-men so much it's very international they have characters from all over the world it's constantly taking place all over the world it has humanistic themes that are a little too dark and subtle for americans i'm sad to say look at this Oh my god. So Magneto, with no one in the jet, is using it as a giant projectile. Storm's helping to elevate it and speed it up. And what's it gonna do? Uh-oh. Looks like a fusion reactor. The colors here are amazing. The, the, I mean, the color... Oh god. The, uh, that was CGI Storm. Look great. The fusion reactor. Here comes the bomb. Oh. Oh. Yeah, I mean, you see this in the theater. You just want a whole movie of this. Yeah, I mean, you got Magneto and Storm fighting in the same side. Uh, that's pretty deadly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to think how many people are getting hit by the pieces of falling debris from the stadium. But they did it for this image. And you know what? Uh, there's more than a little symbolism about it being a sports 
stadium, you know, the gladiatorial aspect, the, the great arena, the grand arena, the grand stage. <laughs> Dented a part of a police car. Oh, no. Oh, no. Wave the white flag. And then, of course, that they would go into a giant metal bunker. Knowing that Magneto is there makes no sense, but these Sentinels look great, I think. I mean, that's CGI Magneto, but it's it's seamless. They've already switched back to the real one. They do look a little bit more three-dimensional than in Ultron, but as I've commented in Ultron, I think they were specifically going for slightly cartoonish, like, you know, 90% realistic. Oh god, here it comes. Here they're going for full three-dimensionality. It needed to be scary, but still looks 70s. Okay, right. So Magneto, mortally wounded, but he's not out of the picture yet. And they're all sad. And that's the thing. These actors who do almost nothing dramatically outside of this fighting. Here I go. Oh no! I did not see that coming in the theater. I mean, it seemed like too quiet considering the invasion, but the 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 holy death, you know, the whole um, or I should say holy martyrdom of of Storm, and they all love her. We know that. I mean, it's in the books and the movies. They love fucking Storm. She's one of the leaders. Now they're really pissed. Too late. Here comes the destroyer stuff. Looks amazing. So the thing is, you think Bishop could challenge? Could uh, you think Bishop could channel this energy? But it just blows him up. It's too much. Yeah, I can't remember. Bishop might become a bad guy at some point in the X-Men comics. When I was reading, he was a good guy in the future, and that was a scary future. I mean, that's the thing. Color-wise and tone, this is definitely modeled on future dystopia stuff from the X-Men books. I gotta go back and read that shit. Early 90s, when you lay and all these guys, oh my god. So Blink gets Magneto inside. This is awesome. Colossus just, oh my god, doing the cap dive, dives through again. Yeah, I mean, Blink's teleportation, sort of group teleportation uh, power is the only thing keeping this going. Including in the beginning, before this all gets started, in terms of just, you know, getting Kitty Pride to a place where she can tell Bishop to go back to past Bishop and tell him the position and save themselves. You need Blink's teleportation to make that happen, both offensively and defensively. Yeah, here's the Hulk thing. You know, it doesn't take nearly as much rage, and he can change, he has way more control. But, you know, Beast being, you know, like, you know, almost or almost as brilliant as professor, smarter in some ways from a technical standpoint. Being a professor and a politician, a statesman, you know, future. Let's just put it this way: older Beast doesn't like to fight much, but if he gets angry when the cause calls for it, he'll turn blue. You know, I criticize Guardians for having so many blue aliens that are unrelated, but you know, Exxon has a ton of blue. Blue mutants. It's just, it's just appealing. If you want to make something look totally weird and bizarre and alien or mutant, you know, I mean, Mystique's blue is totally different from Beast blue. That's the thing. The variation here is better. The blues and Guardians are like the same. 
right? So this is the one time when Wolverine can actually, you know, think to have a chance to fight hand-to-hand against Magneto. Uh, oh, here's the Matrix thing. Yeah, it looks a little bit better than the Trinity death scene. It's really hard to do. For some reason, that effect of, you know, metal uh, tentacles burrowing in people's bodies seems to be hard to do, but Singer sells it with the angles. Yeah, once they're in, it looks super real. So, yeah, so he doesn't have the adamantium. So he's the only time ever he can really fight Magneto, but Magneto's going to tear him apart anyways. Right, so much for being a survivor. Yeah, that looks... The thing is, you know, the movement of that effect of him flying away, and we just see him hit the water. Uh, You know, it's kind of cartoonish, but that's a comic book thing that I love. And it totally looks... I mean, you can sort of tell where it stops being Hugh Jackman to become CGI. Logan flying out of the stadium. But, I'm man, these are stupid nitpicks. Look at the drama in this movie. This is amazing thing is, you know how this is going to end. It's just about how much destruction is Magneto going to cause uh, before they could stop him. Okay, so why does this just go off now? It was the, was the uh, guard who's really Magneto just out of range? Yeah, don't kill it. I need it alive. So, you know, on and off in this movie, we have Magneto and Mystique working for the same thing, but against each other, or at least not with each other. But, typical Brian Singer fashion, you know, they sell a bunch of old men being, you know, jostled around without actually moving anything, just through the filming technique and the angles. This looks great. Boom. Drop the bunker right in the thing. I'm still trying to figure out what the stadium has anything to do with anything. This is totally gratuitous. This would have been enough. You know, flipping some cars and and pulling the bunker out. Right, this is a callback to the first movie with the guns pointed at them. They don't dwell on it too long. Here comes the big evil (laughs) villain speech from Magneto. You gotta love it. Oh, right, he gets the television cameras to look at him. Yeah, after seeing the extended cut, this one really hums along. It's amazing. You know, that's the thing. At first, just in comparison to Guardians and, and, um, and Winter Soldier, it felt a little slow, but man, do they get a lot in in the, this movie. And it's all dramatic. I mean, the writing is great. Directing? Oh, here we go. So this is what Marvel movies do so well, as I talk about, which is have action going on, but while, you know, serious action going on, like killing these mutants, he's going to stick his head in the flame. Oh my god, that's brutal. You know, but but while someone's giving a speech, either for good or evil, often it's Cap with the Avengers and his movies. Right, so Quicksilver's save this guy going, oh my god, what did I do? You know, that two seconds there, Evan Peters told that he's going to be a good mutant. But, to, you know, intersperse future events that are so related to modern day, or, or I should say to, you know, 1973, mutant exposition from Magneto. See, these guys die one by one. You know, they don't overplay the fact that the Sentinels, after a while, can learn and imitate the power. 
of various mutants. I didn't think they needed that device personally, but since they don't overuse it, I'm cool with it. And so we're going to see, right, I think we saw that kid in the future. Here's Toad. <laughs> yep, yep, I'm going to be a bad guy. I think that's part of why they intro- had to introduce the other mutants from Vietnam so we could see shots of their reactions to Magneto. This is stunning. Look at this. I mean, she's so powerful from a defensive standpoint. Is blank. She's on like a four or five movie deal. She's not in the movie next year as far as I can tell. I don't know. They might do a spinoff. She's, a, she's like a famous pop singer in China, actually, an actress. She's, she's a BFD, as young as she looks, and they just skewered her. God, she's that woman is beautiful and does an amazing job. All the supporting cast with their limited lines and tons of action. This is so, I mean, this gives you chills. I mean, you know, you know where this movie is going. That these guys were either going to get killed or almost killed, but that's going to reset the past. But, you know, just seeing them here, having Bobby here, who, you know, with Rogue is really the heart and soul of the first few movies. Not much to say here. Look at the way... The, <laughs> yeah, Singer knows how to uh, film Fastbender. That's for goddamn sure. Oh, yeah, the, the reveal of the two presidents. I think I knew that was Jennifer Lawrence. Um, I actually say Mystique. Oh, that's a great twist. It's a great twist that uh, that beast would demutinize himself in order for the Sentinels, who are currently on the Kill Mutant setting, to stop killing him. You know, apparently there there must be a Kill Human setting, but the early setting was blow up vehicles in ways that do not harm people. Yep, Magneto's own creation coming after him. Man, that looks great. That looks better than Ultron. You know, that's the thing. Singer, whether 2000 or 2014, is still the best. You know? I don't know why he is better than Disney. It's subtle, but... From a cinematic standpoint... Let's put it this way. The movies aren't always as good as the best Marvel movies. From a purely cinematic standpoint, you really can't touch Brian Singer. Okay, and it's a callback to X2 at the very beginning and very end where the professor can not stop time, but stop everyone from moving in order to make a point or get people out. The thing is, they make the projection of him, the mental projection, they, they flatten it. Like, they don't have to. He could just be standing there, but they make it like a mental projection that, like, in her mind's eye, he's two-dimensional or two-and-a-half-dimensional. Look at that. It's the way they light it. It's the way they light it. Yeah, Jennifer Lawrence killing it by not saying anything. Or I should say, while not saying anything. Took me a while to get used to Jennifer Lawrence as Mystique just because Rebecca Romaine was so damn good. I can't believe Jennifer Lawrence agrees to this. Or I should say agreed to it, but she embraced it, that's for sure. She's gonna, I don't know if she's gonna die. I could see Mystique and or 
Magneto dying. There's Colossus. You know, he's pure metal. Or Atex is some sort of organic metal, I believe. Professor X can feel the death of every one of his students, all the mutants. I mean, that's the thing. Professor X could could feel the death of everyone on Earth if he let himself, and that's part of what drove him crazy briefly. Yeah. So it's just a question of how this unfolds and in what order. But, you know, they've made it all about the character so far, and so you want it to be resolved on a character basis and not like a hackneyed plot basis. And we don't know if those last X-Men in the future die or not, but they do not die because it's reset, so the point is moot. Alright, oh, I think we see... Yeah, oh, man. Oh, that's awesome. It's awesome. The thing is, it would make no difference. If they killed Professor... Oh, no, it would make a difference, right? They can't kill. They can't kill... Well, even... Uh, doesn't. That's the thing. Wolverine's out of the picture. Even if those... Two seconds ago, those future Sentinels connected and killed Wolverine, who was lying there, and Kitty Pride, uh, Alan Page, and you know, and Patrick Stewart, etc. It wouldn't change this, and the future would still be reset. But you need a countdown in every sci-fi comic book movie, whether liter, whether literal or figurative. Look how angry Professor X is. Yeah, you rarely see him straight up control. Magneto. <laughs> yeah, it's like the paralyzed guy got re-paralyzed. But he lets, con- he lets go of control immediately when he doesn't need to anymore. He hates controlling Eric. He wants Eric to come on his own. He needs him to, just like Jennifer Lawrence um, as Raven. So he leaves the helmet because he knows the second he makes a move for the helmet, the professor is going to you know, make him drool like a five-year-old. <laughs> the flying is seamless. I mean, Vision's flying in Ultron is the best flying ever. The dynamics of it, and, you know, the way he, he flies through the the city blown up to save Scarlet Witch. Yeah, Jennifer Lawrence communicating everything. There is a little bit of a smile. More than, more than a little bit, actually. She's At that moment, she's saying, all right, for now, we're on the same side. But I need to go on my own way. Right, here it is. Why are you letting him go? I have hope for them. Yep, he's Professor Xavier. He's not just Chuck. <laughs> Hank and Chuck, that's the, the TV sitcom. Yep, interesting to just pick a regular-looking soldier to get away. So, you know, now this Wolverine, which we've been watching for most of the movie, is back to his 1973 self. That particular one has no idea what just occurred, but this one does. It's interesting to think when he wakes from the dream. It must have been at the exact time, like, you know. (laughs) Okay, let's put it this way. Let's say that Final Sentinels attack a couple... Uh, minutes ago was July 3rd, 2014, okay? Well, this is July 3rd, 2014, but just without the dystopic end of the universe future. And they have this, I think it's like, yeah, they, the music cue here of oldies, just supposed to throw you off for a minute, 
And this is like, you know, everyone jumping on the bed with Frodo, but way better because it's Hugh Jackman and Bobby, who Sean Ashmore is his name. I've been praising him through the three commentaries, him and Anna Paquin here, who are back together. And the comics is much different, but for the purposes of these movies, I want them together. I don't know if we're going to see them again. Here is Colossus. I was hoping we'd see him again, but so far, nothing. Ellen Page is fantastic. Not enough screen time. Um, here he is, Frasier. <laughs> they did something weird with his mouth. Right, I mean, Future Beast is like Future Mystique. Or like Mystique's always been. He stays below. He doesn't use the, the, the medicine or whatever to allow him to be not below. Storm. It's the thing, she's such, you know, a, a huge part of the heart of everything about X-Men. You know, what it is, what it represents. You know, this African princess with amazing powers holding it all together, the handful, including Jane and Scott. And, uh, you know, this was apparently a big geek moment. From the moment that he saw, you know, Bobby and uh, Sean Ashmore and, uh, uh, from the moment he saw Bobby and Rogue, just kind of could see this coming. It's not a coincidence they go super red here. A, because Famke Jensen hasn't aged a day in 15 years. Look at her. She is stunning. <laughs> I was dying when I saw this. I love, I mean, that's the thing. Scott Summers is only there to keep Logan away from his girlfriend. Yeah, it's good to see. Uh huh. Right. No, no, they think he's on an acid trip. But other than just Famke Jensen being, you know, beautiful, everything red, uh, it's supposed to mirror the flashback of X Men Last Stand. The only good part is the fact that he has to kill her, though he loves her because she's out of control. And she tells him to do it and that he, lo- and that he loves her while killing her. It's brutal, but that one image was almost worth that whole movie. They used it in this one. They used it in The Wolverine, I believe. Or at least she appears. Famke Jensen appears in The Wolverine. Not long. This is great. (laughs) Don't you have a class to teach? (laughs) So he's apparently much advanced, you know, in this new timeline. He's a history teacher. So, you know... The question remains, is Professor X the only one who knows, quote-unquote, what really happened? Professor loves sharing information, but he also knows how to keep stuff that he thinks is harmful. You know, do the most trusted advisors, Scott and Jean and Storm, do they know what really went down? I mean, we know Beast knows. I mean, yeah, they must know. They must know, because with the new timeline, Charles will have been communicating with Charles from the future in order to save the future. Drowning. Alright, so, you know, this is a great final twist that's so obvious to do. But I think it's also so obviously a ruse to misdirect fans. I could be wrong. You're going, up. Oh, Stryker found him. This is how the whole thing starts. You know, he takes him 
to experiment on, and then he gives him the adamantium, and then Wolverine goes crazy and forgets everything. Right, so the, the Sentinel program's canceled, and they arrest they arrest Trask for treason, I, I suppose because of his dealings with the Vietnamese. So here's, right, here's more expositional dialogue, but while showing stuff actually happening. But they have McAvoy do it, and this is also the passing of the torch instead of Patrick Stewart. I'll take him from here. Okay, Uh uh-oh, evil striker plan. Nope, (laughs) it's Mystique. So what does Mystique want with Wolverine? Well, we know she has a thing for him in X1 and X2, that's for sure. So yeah, I don't know. It's, It's such an entertaining movie. God, how do I get this volume down? It's so loud, the theme. Okay, so the X-Men theme, as I comment in other commentaries, I think, uh, is somewhat similar to part of the animated series theme music, which we all know so well from that generation. I don't think that's a mistake. It's Fox ownership through and through, I think, so it's great. Um, Yeah, it's a great movie. And I'm not going to put it up against... The Winter Soldier from 2014, because that's, you know, a transcendent movie like The Avengers. But, you know, it, it, from a filmmaking standpoint, it can definitely go toe-to-toe with Guardians, which it almost, you know, caught up to. Although, yeah, there were a lot of surprises. One surprise was that X-Men, which had made money in the past, but never $750 million would make it with this movie it helped a lot that between 2011 when the first class was done and 2014 when this movie came out jennifer lawrence went from being a starlet to a giant superstar i think that helped um having the original cast in it along with the new cast really helped having bright singer back on board i mean you can just tell from the trailers that this was going to be a special movie but filmically, up, up to Guardian, in some ways, is more professionally done. I mean, the only complaint I could ever come up with with Brian Singer's X-Men movies is it's too professional. It's a little too cold. But you find these little nuances of humor um, that, you know, that keep you, uh, keep you a little bit, um, you know, not overly tense because the scenarios are so dark and, you know, and, and like with the X-Men, there's constant tension between characters and narrowly surviving and that superhero stuff, but it's darker than the Marvel Universe, but this is a great movie, you know, like most great movies that that I love, well, let me put it this way, like a number of great movies that, that I love or I've come to love, it's taken multiple viewings. This one was different in sort of my first viewing being the best for a while, which almost never happens with me. Um, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, from the second viewing for me was the best. Cat, but continued to get better. This one, after repeat viewings, and I did see it a bunch of times in the theater, as I do all these types of movies, if I love them or just really like them, because I know I'm never going to get that, that chance again. So, you know, there's ways to get $10 movies these days, people. And, uh, you know, rather than spending it on, like, a beer with Tip in Philadelphia, I go to state a couple times. Um, but uh, this one sits with you because of the relationships. And, and I'll end on this because of James McAvoy, who really steals the movie. And he doesn't try. That's the thing. Unlike guys like Daniel Day-Lewis or, or Christian Bale, such egos... 
I don't know if they're, you know, consciously trying to steal every movie they're in, but it never feels that way from McAvoy. He's such a team player, um, and there's enough characters with enough depth, um, but, you know, it's all through him. Even future Charles, it's third of him. It's amazing. Hugh Jackman, you know, puts in his best performance. You hardly even notice he's there. It's so natural. You know, usually, even with Jackman's subtle acting skills with Wolverine, you know, usually you can't ignore him. It's not that you're ignoring him. It's just that he fits in really more seamlessly with these kids as sort of the the old grumpy. Um, sort of the old grumpy wise you know old man or whatever then with the brash hot-headed youth of the earlier x-men movies it's interesting to think but he's definitely going to be a big part of apocalypse next year and he's going to have at least one more solo movie so thank god we got more hugh jackman but mcavoy fassbender is just hypnotic and in his evilness and jennifer lawrence is jennifer lawrence um you know she has she has it she has that thing uh, you know, I, she's headed Scarlet territory. Uh, you know, I, I don't think she's old enough yet. It's not about talent. It's just about living long enough to have experiences that, you know, even though I love Scarlet, you know, like late teens, early 20s, there's a noticeable jump when she hit like mid to late 20s. It, it, just in terms of feeling like an adult. I mean, Jennifer Lawrence still feels like a little bit like a girl. And it's parts to do with her looks and, and her voice and just having a youthful girlish persona. But I think in a couple of years, she's going to be in the rarefied air. Um, Nicholas Holt, as I mentioned, awesome. As Hank McCoy has been in a bunch of other stuff. He's a very, very talented guy. And we will see him next year as well. I just can't wait for Apocalypse. I mean, so First Class was to, you know, reboot the franchise. And did some things okay, other things not so well. But it got the main casting, the main four or five casts. Uh, choices absolutely right on the nose. Then you bring in Brian Singer and have a movie that was one of the, if not the top-selling uh, movie worldwide, if not in the U.S. of 2014, appeals to an international audience. It's a smart movie. It's just, that's the thing. That's X-Men. It's smart. I mean, Joss Whedon is hilarious with the Avengers movies, but he has enough you know, sort of mainstream comedy that all of his obscure stuff still lands for the rest of us, um, or, or at least it doesn't feel like just like a shallow superhero movie, even though, you know, superhero movies can be shallow, even the Avengers movies in some ways. X-Men are never shallow. Uh, their greatest sin is taking themselves too seriously, but, you know, the stuff with Jackman and uh, Nicholas Hall and James McAvoy in particular, the, that threesome, uh, and then you had Quicksilver. There is some hilarity in here. You know, I think Singer is improving all his time off. And so, as I was getting to Apocalypse, as it's not going to be the last because they. It's not going to be the last because they're introducing a whole bunch of new X-Men. I guarantee you, James McAvoy will not be done. I don't know about Fastbender. Or um, 
or Jennifer Lawrence, but, you know, this timeline of X-Men is going to continue as it should. I don't know if Brian Singer will continue or the aforementioned actors, but Apocalypse is a culmination of everything that both Singer and Fox and the franchise and the actors have been working towards. It should be the best X-Men movie. It'll almost de- If it's good and well done and well marketed, it will definitely... I think, approach the billion mark. And here, when you have Cap Civil War and Batman v Superman also aiming for that billion mark, for sure, um, as well, in the same year, I think Apocalypse can do it. It can be the best. I still think X2 is the best overall because it just feels like picking up a comic book and reading it and getting lost in it. And this one is so dark, even for X-Men. But, you know, from a professionalism standpoint, it's there in all of Brian Singer's movies, so we don't have to worry about how it's going to look or written or acted in Apocalypse. We just have to wait. And here we go. The tease. Okay, so in the extended cut, there's a tease I can't believe they took out of Peter Dinklage in Magneto's prison below the Pentagon with like a scruffy beard looking like the Unabomber just lying there. It's hilarious. So, you know, we know that Apocalypse is is a god of some sort, or demigod from Egypt. So this is going to be cool, because, you know, I can't remember what his actual... Maybe he's just a ridiculously powerful mutant that lives a long time, and therefore could posture as a god. You know, this CGI looks so half-baked, but who cares? You know this is Apocalypse. This isn't his face. It's going to be Oscar Isaac, although it's probably going to be a CGI character. No clue. But this is the young version, and they're the four horsemen of the Apocalypse. Oh, bad. And so, to end this, which I never got to in the beginning, just like the original X-Men was really setting up X2, you know, as fantastic and phenomenal of a standalone effort um, as is or was Days of Future Past, it really is setting up Apocalypse in a lot of ways. Brian Singer needs it. He needs the Rev Up movie. And the thing is, his Rev, his rev Up movies are like A-minuses. And then, you know, the, uh, the payoff with the second is an A or an A+. Plus. Um, I'll give this a solid A-minus. Um, just like the original, I give a solid A minus. I think X2 is an A, maybe an A plus. I love X-Men. I might have to go read the comics. That's the thing. I watch the Marvel movies and I try and get into to their comics. I, or, I should say, I'm sorry. I see Marvel Studios, um, movies like the whole Avengers crew and I'm like, oh, I gotta, you know, read some Cap or Thor. Not into it. I see the X-Men movies. I really want to get some X-Men comics. So, hope you enjoyed that. Excellent movie. I'm starting to think I'm going to wait to release these until lead up to Apocalypse. So it's possible I have recorded these many, many months before release. All three of the X-Men podcasts I've done so far, X1, X2, and this one, I recorded in sort of fall of 2015. So hope you get a chance to listen to this, and thanks for doing so, and I am out.